0: Check out this fucking sap. What is? It's a blackjack.
1: What's a blackjack?
0: It's a. I uh, only know
1: the card game blackjack.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure which came. I'm assume some form of this has existed for a long time, but it's a leather thing, uh, kind of shaped like a, a, a paddle or something, like a paddle. Yeah. It's like uh, a baby
1: just, paddle. Well, not a baby paddle. Not wrong. a
0: baby paddle, no. Uh, it's got a, a little strap here for the old uh, hand to slip into and is filled with a lead ball. Why? Uh, well, okay, let's use context clues here.
1: Are Why? you like, going to hit someone with
0: it? I don't want to hit anybody with it. Why do you have that? To hit someone with it. It is a blackjack for hitting people in the head with to knock them out. Oh, my God. It's also called a
1: sap. Here I'm the sap because Mm -hmm. I don't want to hit anybody in the head.
0: Uh, Listen, I will, if you ever insult Liz, my Liz, I will come to your house, wait, sneak up on you stealthily, hit you in the back of the neck with this just one time and knock you out while I rifle through your possessions.
1: Mm, But just really Mm. softly because you don't want to hurt anybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, true. I'm going to read your journal. I'm going to look at, I'm going to Google your psych meds.
1: You're gonna tweet Um, their live tweet their diary. Now that is a threat. If you ask me, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm gonna take some of your socks and do and put them on. Get them all sweaty. But not tell them.
1: Don't Mm -mm. tell them which socks you put them on, and then you put them back.
0: Then I'm gonna suck your dick.
1: Before I say hello to everyone, I gotta say, God bless the person who wrote in and asked us to bleep out the profanity, because I don't know how you would do that. I mean, I think that young Chomsky could figure out lots of things, but we would just speak around using profanity in such creative ways that I think it, took, it would be impossible yeah. to make the show family friendly. I apologize uh, to the, the the man that wrote in. I think it was a man that wrote in.
0: It, uh, it took me like, I would say 120 episodes to realize that uh, Young bleep because I was like, why does he bleep swear words sometimes? He only bleeps them when I swear at you.
1: I know. I think it's so cute. It's not
0: cute. I know. I I look, no. Also, I look like a yeah, pussy. That,
1: exactly. You do oh, look cute. like a pussy. Saying that to me. Don't say that to me. You know what? You want to look like a man. Don't speak to a woman like that. Hello, everyone.
0: Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Liz. I they, I am the lion of Kabul. Oh Brace. We are of course joined by Sheikh Young Chomsky, and we <laughs> are Taliban. <laughs> that didn't really work out so bad. So well. Can
1: I tell? Okay. Can I tell the listeners something? Go ahead. This morning, I awoke from slumber from a little notification at the old, on the old Trunon group chat. Little Brace Belden wrote us a message this morning <laughs> that said, hey, do you guys mind if I DM the Taliban from the podcast <laughs>
0: So okay, first of all, I wrote that at like a pretty. I wrote that like ten p.m. last night, or like eleven. My I got
1: a new time zone, baby. I don't
0: know. Yeah, yeah, true, but I. So it wasn't like I was like at six a.m. being like, what are they thinking? But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. It's like I don't like them or anything, you know. I just feel like I did. I did do that, by the way. Uh, um, I think we both I, said no. Oh, I didn't... Well, I wo- Well, I, when I woke up this morning, there was like 40 messages in there, and I'm only reading the ones that are immediately... I know, I not you never scroll up. up. Never not my problem. Up. If you guys had something is, important to say... It is
1: your problem. It's actually... that's the If there's a definition of problem, that would be it. That would be the, the only definition problem. definition of problem,
0: yet. actually, would be me having you on my <laughs> back.
1: <laughs> well, good thing I'm not on your back. You're looking right at my face.
0: <sighs> well, we kind of... Cat's out of the bag on that. We're doing an <laughs> Afghanistan episode. Not... <nine. laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> We, much uh, like the government of Kabul, we were taken by us. Actually, you know, I kind of saw this coming. I was hoping that they would wait until September. What do you mean you September.
1: just saw it coming? They announced that the, <laughs> they were withdrawing troops for six months. They gave a six-month warning that the U.S. Was, was bouncing. Everyone knew the Taliban was coming.
0: I know, but once, I, I'm going to say I saw it coming as of like a week and a half ago when they just started oh, yeah. handing towns over to them without like firing oh, a shot. Oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the U.S. officials looking aghast are, you know, doing a little acting themselves. Exactly.
0: I mean, you would have to be a fucking more. I mean, the the, the, the famously, uh, the, the defense of this was never going to go very well. I mean, I think that has been basically the consensus of everybody from all parts of the uh, the political spectrum on this. And it turned out to be true. In fact, it turned out to be truer than most people thought. And obviously, there were some deals made, I which I would love to see the details yeah. of. Um, but There's President wheeling and
1: dealings all over the place.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Continued wheeling and dealing. Uh,
0: the president has left the country, uh, and uh, I spent a long time last night looking at his family's social media <laughs> likes. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: In, I found highly educated was, family. Highly educated family. Um, the uh, daughter actually, the movie she made actually looks kind of good. I would like to see it. Uh, possibly. Oh yeah,
1: she has a movie out.
0: Mm-hmm. She was supposed to be giving a talk at the Roxy Theater, which is like a really small theater in San Francisco where I once got in a fight in front of Rocky Erickson at. Oh, um, really? Yeah. yeah I, I, uh, I got in a fist fight with Max Retard uh, right in front mm-hmm. of
1: Rocky Erickson. That's a nickname. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But uh, so uh, it, she was supposed to give a talk about her movie on Afghanistan at the Roxy the night that Kabul fell in person. And I really wonder if that happened.
1: Great timing.
0: Um, but yeah, look, I, it's, it's, it, you know, I, I gotta say, nobody seems particularly like people, people have no idea what to say about it.
1: That's, and yet everyone's saying consensus. everything. Yeah. Like it takes all over the place. I've seen, um, yeah, some very insane, weird defenses of the Taliban, which is like, I don't understand that at all. I don't know. I don't want – here's my thing. I don't want to hear what anyone has to say about Afghanistan.
0: Well, I'd like to hear what the Taliban have to say about it. Well, I'd like to hear Lamar. what you say,
1: actually, Brace. I'd like to hear your opinion about things. But, uh, uh, yeah, i um not liking a lot of the commentary. I don't know. I find something very I, – I, I find the whole thing very depressing, I got to say.
0: I mean, I, I think what's going to happen is that, like, I think the Taliban has probably changed – to, I mean, has changed to some degree since uh, since the last time they took Kabul. Um, this time I think all the foreign embassies most well, I shouldn't say that. I think many of the foreign embassies will stay open. I think that uh, instead of receiving just like weird barrels of like money from the Saudis in Pakistan like last mm-hmm. time, uh, they'll probably get maybe significant infrastructure, uh, you know, infusions from from China. Uh, but yeah, I mean, well, yeah,
1: it's a, it's a total vacuum. I mean, Russia and China are going to have to step in where the U S is stepping out because that's how it works. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, it's not exactly, um, I mean, I mean, that's just, that's like the, the, that's just the case of, and how it works when world power, you know, world, waning world power, whatever, uh, exits the occupation like that.
0: Yeah, uh, I will say in the uh, in the nineteen eighties when the Chinese um, government, well, the revisionist Chinese government, was funding uh, funding mujahideen groups uh, instead of the Maoist groups, uh, they uh, they made a serious mistake. I thought, but possibly long benefit in the future. I'm mean, going to be one of those guys who are like the Chinese think in terms of centuries, <laughs> not in years.
1: The- <laughs> People no, love ge- saying that. No
0: Chinese guy is thinking in terms of centuries.
1: Nobody in the world is
0: thinking in terms of centuries.
1: If you look at the Atlantic, that is like the one thing you love to say.
0: Yeah. Well, I also like to say the dragon rises. So in the case of Afghanistan and possible, you know, maybe they'll they'll add to Belt and Road. Uh, Yeah. The dragon rises. Anyways, we will hopefully be getting the Taliban on the show as soon as possible. (laughs) But uh, that's not why we've gathered you here today.
1: I was just trying to think, oh, we haven't really gathered them here, but we have. They're yeah. all listening. Hello, everyone.
0: <laughs> well, we put in uh what's that shit that someone was telling me about this the other day. It's like uh they put it in commercials like bi- silent binaural sound or something.
1: What? Uh, it's
0: some shit. It's like they commercials or companies put in like a s like a subsonic or whatever sound mm-hmm. in the commercials so that like, like Manson. Uh sure. Did he do that? Uh, I I think he just played the doors really loud. Oh yeah,
1: and backwards.
0: Yeah. Uh, Who was that? uh, (laughs) We put in we put in sounds that you can't hear that make you feel hungry when you listen to the podcast. Dogs can
1: understand it though.
0: mm -hmm, Well, it's half our listenership. So we're here not here to talk to you about binaurals or bisexuals or bilateral relations between Afghanistan and China. No. We're here to talk to you about I'm trying to think of a byword for this, uh, or a byword. Uh, we're here to talk to you about one of the most important men in a biennial <laughs> uh, in American history. Uh, actually, one of the I, definitely not the most important men in American history, but a fascinating figure, and somebody who whose life, I think, in work reflects on what we do here and what a lot of people that we associate with do. Uh, then that man is Lyndon LaRouche. <sighs>
1: <sighs> Lyndon LaRouche. I feel like, you know, it is true. It's weird to say that he has had a big influence, and yet I do think that he has. I think a lot of his kind of worldview um, has kind of diffused through... I don't know, a kind of like paranoia political culture that we definitely, you know, take part of, I think, like you say, but I do think we are not LaRoucheites.
0: <laughs> no. I mean so I was I, I was talking to a uh to a former uh L Y M that's LaRouche Youth Movement member mm. the other day, a guy I actually met before. Um and uh, and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, like I got into it through Web through Webster Tarpley, uh, you know, appearing on Alex Jones' show, and through Webster Tarpley, uh, yeah. I got, I, you know, I saw and found Larouche videos, and Larouche seemed like in 2008 a really smart guy. So Larouche, I think, is fascinating to me because. Um, he he really embodies something that uh, that I, I think we encounter a lot in our work. And I think a lot of people who do similar sort of shows that we do or research that we do probably encounter a lot too in, in both their work and in sort of how they view things, which is that he really embodies like this uh, this man with a really thin membrane between what's real and what's maybe real. Mm. And then the sort of interplay, the dialectic between those two that goes on with LaRouche Sews up into a pattern that is is sometimes decipherable, sometimes indecipherable. But it's it's he is somebody who has I think had actually a pretty wide influence, and I have always sort of thought of him as a kook. Mm-hmm. who maybe occasionally stumbled on a few good ideas, but really had no impact. Yeah, crank, like a, mi- a guy mimeographing newsletters in his room. And, you know, he had the magazine and everything like that. But, you know, he's like the he's the head of the organization that has the guys at train stops, with the Obamas with the Hitler mustaches.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the tables everywhere. I sometimes call the kind of uh, what you're what you're kind of gesturing towards um, intellectually and physically, I should say, as braces want to use lots of hand motions. Wow, anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I sometimes call it confusionism, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is this kind of like, I think the only way to kind of describe it will be as we kind of go through LaRouche's life and like you said, and his work and its organization. But it is this sort of like, um it's like a marxism without class forces or mm-hmm. a kind of like populist humanism that yes. it's like it's very it all sounds right but is also something's off and not quite on the money like i don't know it, it's really hard to explain and so it kind of like throws people in all directions um but also then you can understand, like you mentioned the guy you talked to that he got into it in 2008, right? Like, yeah, I remember that time totally with, you know, there were all those kind of like young people on the right getting into Ron Paul mm-hmm. and there was all this kind of like, you know, I think the kind of like Occupy stuff was, was starting up and still some like leftover rage about the Iraq war and during the Bush years um, and it was all kind of like this, this sort of like young alt, I don't know, kind of like frustrated liberal movement looking for something. And at that moment, like a lot of people would find LaRouche or would find Ron Paul and it kind of like crossed over, um, or cross, excuse me, cross paths, um, a lot, you know, at that moment. And it, I, I see some of that still today. I Absolutely. think Absolutely. Like yeah. when we say the crank thing, like I know that everyone who's ever been to like in any kind of like left wing space, whatever we want to say that, like knows what the, the old crank is mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and yeah. who that person is or people. And um they would definitely, you know, they'll definitely cross fest with the Lurishites for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, La- LaRouche stuff is. I think we'll probably get more into this maybe in the second episode, but like, you know, LaRouche people, LaRouche himself died, I believe, at the ripe old age of 96 a couple of years ago. Incredible. Which is for a guy who, since the early 70s, has claimed that some of the top assassins in the world are after his ass, he really outwitted and outlived all of them. <laughs> Much um, like Castro. Yes, yeah, yeah. He outlived Castro, I think. I, I don't actually remember Wait, what year did Castro he? died. I don't know. Maybe around the same.
1: We time. could look it up, but you know what? Yeah. We're not going to.
0: Nope. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he. Uh, I mean, Larouche's people are still around. Obviously, without their sort of North Star of Larouche, they are, um, you know, less cohesive than they used to be. But the organization still exists, and more importantly, like uh, the way that Laroucheites operate is that they believe themselves sort of like I mean, they were a vanguard organization, but not in the way that you might think they. They sp- specifically self-selected and selected members who were part of what they viewed as like an intellectual elite, these golden souls that they called mm. them. And so many of their members are pretty good at talking. They're pretty smart. They're able to disseminate a wide swath of information, not necessarily sensical information, but information mm. uh, in a way that might maybe sounds really smart or sensible. Yeah. I mean, ba- basically what it is is there are a lot of organizations that are filled to the brim with so- what we might call soods. <laughs> Uh and I would say root- people
1: who love a name drop.
0: Yes, can yes. you name
1: drop Heidegger, Plato, Schiller, Mozart, uh, Bakunin, Kojève, and. Uh, the and british banking families. Yes. You might be ready to join the Laroucheites.
0: Yes. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, like I I I when we when we first started like talking about this episode, I was kind of just clicking around on the internet and sort of like, you know, there the uh I was there was like a a uh, like a YouTube channel or whatever, like a left-wing YouTube channel I saw from Australia that had, you know, a good amount of tens of thousands of followers. And, uh, and they were like, oh, we have this guest on to talk about Australian relations with China. And I was like, well, this guy looks kind of weird. And I looked him up. And, uh, you know, he's a Lurushite. And that happens, you know, th- th- mm-hmm. they, they are they are present in media. They are written about uh, in China daily quite often. They have a pretty big organization still called the Schiller Institu- uh, Institute, rather, um, although a lot of people should be institutionalized. Uh, that sort of markets itself. Well, we'll talk about it later. But uh, but you can look it up, and you wouldn't even know necessarily that it's like. I mean, you know, those with a eye, a keen eye, might pretty quickly realize that it's a very crank type organization. But it presents itself very professionally, and that's their whole thing: is that they are professionals. They are they are mm. a sort of different breed of revolutionaries, um, and and they are indeed they you know they self style as revolutionaries, um, and. Uh, You know, we are going to talk about Lyndon LaRouche and we're going to talk about some of Lyndon LaRouche's views because there isn't really a way to talk about one without talking about the other.
1: Have you ever met a Lyndon?
0: A male. Have I met a, a Lyndon? Like, like that a, name someone like named? someone
1: named Lyndon? You know? I only know Lyndon Larouche and Barry Lyndon. Those are the that's the only time I've ever encountered Lyndon. What is
0: Barry Lyndon?
1: It's a movie. I've heard
0: someone say it. okay. Is it a Conan Brothers movie? Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Never heard yeah. of it. I mean, I've heard of it, but I, I literally thought that was a Conan it's Brothers. It's really good.
1: Movie.
0: Not going to see it. Very pretty. Um, yeah, I, I have not met a lot of Lindas. I haven't also met a lot of LaRouche's either. That's a little, a little Cajun name for me. I don't know if I can, you know, just, I try not to, the Cajuns freak me out. I feel like they'll feed me to some kind of reptile. Um, they've written in a lot before saying they do that. So I don't know why you guys are both shaking your heads. I, you should see the emails I get. Um, but uh, but yeah, he, he, I have never met a Lyndon. He's oh, you know. So let's let's talk let's talk about this fucking loser, okay? By the way, he also went by Lynn for a really long yeah. time and in the organization. Today, there are still everyone calls him Lynn. You only call him Lyndon Larouche to people outside the organization. And I gotta say, that's kind of like being called Gretchen. That's a girl's name. Right? That is a girl's name.
1: Yeah, but I do like the move of having an in-group name versus out-group name. Yeah, that's well, like. You know, it's a good way to signal, oh, someone calls him Lyndon. You know, they're not part of the in-group.
0: I mean, you guys both call me boss, sir, <laughs> and CEO, Mr. CEO. So, yeah, it's kind of like an in-group. I call you boss baby. Yeah, I'm, I'm the boss, comma, baby. That's no, correct. No, you're Thank just you. the boss no, no, baby. Like, so, like let's the cut this right now. Ba- so <laughs> I'm going to say a racial slur, and we'll be forced to cut it unless you – Okay, let's talk about this little fucking freak. I am realizing now I put possibly too many notes on this man's early childhood because I started looking up his father a lot, which was basically a dead end, except he's weird.
1: His name was Hezekiah?
0: No, that was his father's pen name, Hezekiah. People, listen, I don't know what you Christian types are up to, but everyone's always like, I'm Ezekiel, Hezekiah, like marsupial fucking freakazoid or
1: whatever. What is no one's, this? What is that? Quaker?
0: It's uh, he's a Quaker. I mean, I associate that stuff with Mormonism, but I mean, Quakers mm. are, you know, that's another weird little thing. Lyndon LaRouche was born in 1922. He died in 2019. By the way, he was yeah. born in 1922.
1: He was old.
0: He was old as shit. Uh, and I, I, you might notice that I put in some of the notes here a little British crown connection. He was born in a town called Rochester, New Hampshire, named for the brother-in-law to King James II. So possibly some early signs of Rouge's mm. later political leanings.
1: Mm, bit Freudian, yeah.
0: Um, anyways, his family moves to Lynn, Massachusetts, which is... I don't, I mean, maybe that's where he got the name later. I mean, I don't know. But uh, his parents were both Quakers. And I don't, have you ever met a Quaker?
1: Mm, young Chomsky's shaking his head, yes.
0: You met a Quaker? I don't know if I
1: have, but I also grew up, we grew up on the West Coast. This That's an East Coast thing. Quaker's an East Coast thing. I grew up near Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. A lot of Quakers there.
0: So in San Francisco on, I think, 7th Street, mm. uh, it was right where I used to, like a block from where I used to buy speed, uh, there was a friends.
1: Like, oh, sure. A, you know,
0: like, yeah, like they had like a friend. I used to live right by,
1: by a friend's house. Was it a friend's house? What is friends it hu- yeah. Meeting used house? Friends by... meeting house?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't I, I, know. I, I don't know. It it's witchcraft to me. Um, but uh, his dad basically was a LaRouche, uh, Lyndon LaRouche Sr. was his name. And like you mentioned, he did go by Hezekiah uh, sometimes. No, Hezekiah. He, Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Well, well, you could pronounce names however you want. Um Hezekiah, can you pronounce actually you know what Liz? You know what? Pronounce this entire name for me.
1: Pronounce this entire me I was just trying to think me. of how you say the middle name. I don't know. Hezekiah well, Micaiah
0: mm-hmm.
1: Jones? Hezekiah Jones. Micaiah Jones?
0: So another way to pronounce that would be Hezekiah Makaja Jonas. <laughs> Orjones, Spanish. Uh, anyways, he used that Hezekiah pseudonym to, as a Quaker, write uh, very anti-Semitic tracts. And uh, basically, he was a crank. you know. And he, yeah. it was, I guess, harder to print pamphlets back then, so maybe he didn't have his money. But he he got kicked out. This guy was such an asshole, he got kicked out of the Quakers. Uh, his son hated Quakers after that. LaRouche was a annoying child uh, who was called mm. Big Head. Yeah, and, you wrote
1: that in the notes they called him Big Head, but then you wrote, he appears to have a normal-sized head.
0: Yeah. So, a little background on this. I did, I think, a little too much research for this episode, <laughs> uh, this pair of episodes. I no, no, really no. Done. I
1: think that was, that's a good detail to put
0: in. Yeah, I looked at a lot of pictures of uh, LaRouche as a kid to see if he had a big mm. head. It looks pretty normal to me. That's um, good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he, uh, he said... His earliest, I believe his first enemy that he names in his autobiography, which I read. Well, I read most of it because he gets into really long tangents. Yeah, he
1: does. It's kind of not readable in my opinion.
0: I believe his first enemy he said was, and let me see if I'm recalling this off top, uh, John Dewey (laughs) or John Locke.
1: Well, those are okay.
0: I think it was John Locke. Um, John Dewey is the Dewey Decimal System guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe he did some other stuff too. I believe it was John Locke was his first enemy and Mm. he says Kant was his first peer. Uh, Anyways, his dad gets expelled from the Quakers in 1940. Lyndon LaRouche follows shortly after, but he's still somewhat of a pacifist. And so when World War II starts because of the British crown uh, and the Zionists tricking Hitler into- sorry, no, I read too much LaRouche- That, that's that is they the, LaRouche LaRouche believes now, although possibly not at the time, that the British Zionists and the royal crown tricked Hitler into doing World War II mm. and being anti Semitic.
1: Um,
0: yes. Uh, so that's actually a fairly common how that's such
1: a great, like, you know what, that it's like someone like uh, dared someone to figure out a more anti Semitic angle to World War II. And was like, how can we make the Holocaust more anti-Semitic?
0: <laughs> well, it's like the Holocaust happened. Yeah. The Jews did it. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's actually pretty impressive. Yeah. That's, um,
1: that's, you know, tip of my hat. Actually, no, not tip of my hat.
0: No. Tip but of you my know you yeah. know what I'm saying. Yeah. No, he, yeah, he is, he is, he is, he is, I will say, innovatively anti-Semitic. Yeah. Uh, which yeah, we'll, yeah. which we'll get to later. No word. By the way, in his biography. It does not appear that he interacted with a single Jew be- before the late 1960s. It is mm. totally unclear. I in fact, I it doesn't seem like he ever might have. Um, certainly never mentions it. But uh he spends he spends a little while in a like like a work camp, not like a not like a prison camp, but you know, he got drafted and he was a conscious objector because it was religion, blah, blah, blah. He gets turned into Marxism there, and he says that's why he joined the army. Mm. Uh Non-combatant, which means he is a like a medic, uh, I believe, or right, like a right, medical right. orderly or you know, supply guy at one point, and he goes to India. In India, he meets the head. He says this is a lie, by the way, but it is an insane lie. He says he meets the head of the Indian Communist Party, Paran Chand Joshi, mm-hmm. and tries to convince him to go on a general strike and uprising against the British. He is a twenty-three-year-old man in American Army uniform.
1: To be fair, I could see him saying like, oh, you, you guys should do this because it sounds like something a 23 year old who yeah, just discovered Marxism would say. Like, yeah. hey, have you guys just wait hey, like can't you see him just being like, hey, what about like a general strike, dude? Uh you yeah.
0: You could like overthrow
1: of... the British with like a general strike. You think yeah,
0: it? it's cr- I've been on general strike like eight times in the past two years and nothing ever happens. <laughs> People love making a little flyer that says like with like a burning cop car or like yeah, a bunch yeah. of like stock general image. General
1: strike. General strike August. Just, yeah. It doesn't happen.
0: I mean what like I feel like probably an average of five people just call out sick that day. <laughs> and like like <coughs> sorry, I'm sick. And like in your brain, like, I'm going on general strike. Um yeah, totally. Oh, but, uh, he says by the time he left that meeting, he was a full blown Trotskyist. And Ooh, so
1: that's how, you know, the meeting went well,
0: mm-hmm, I'm sure you can all guess what happens next. He comes back to America, goes to college for like two months with a major in physics, but drops out. Cause he says everyone else in college is too stupid, which
1: this is all sounding very like a little too eerily familiar.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, you think that <laughs> because like, of my college career.
1: No, it just—it sounds like many a young man that has yes. crossed my path.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Uh, we will talk about this after the show, but <laughs> very curious. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he's like I'm these just fucking idiots. You know,
1: a lot of college dropouts become Trotskyists, and perhaps mm-hmm. we should be investigating that time, that you know, pathway.
0: Hmm. Also, some of y'all don't even have, some of y'all sleep on a mattress on, a, on the floor. <laughs> and then I, I yeah. you know, I wanna be clear about something. When I was, uh, when I moved into a house, an apartment in the Tenderloin when I was like 19 for like six months before moving back to my old apartment. And uh, there was a girl whose room I was moving into who left her mattress, which was, by the way, on the floor, not even a little thing under it, just a mattress on the floor. Uh, uh, yeah, you told me this. Yes, we were moving her mattress out. And uh, and a dead uh, baby rat fell out of it. That's so crazy. I don't want to hear you ladies be like, "Men don't have bed frames." You don't have a bed frame, and you're sleeping with a dead baby rat, child killer.
1: How do you know it's a baby rat? Because it was so small. What if also, it was I had just to kill a it? Small rat. Uh, well,
0: no, it was a, I know it was a like baby a mouse. rat. Yeah, because I also felt paternal feelings towards it. Um. What? I don't want. We can talk about this after. Uh, so he decides to join the bastion of American intellectualism, and uh, in uh, stark contrast to his later anti-Semitism, a bastion of American Judaism, the uh, Socialist Workers Party,
1: the mm-hmm. largest Trotskyist party in the United States. What do you have to say about the Socialist Workers Party, Brace? You know
0: what? I wasn't around in the forties. I'm sure you guys had a great time. Um, and I, you know, I do think that the post-war strategy, uh, I think that Stalin should have declared war in the United States immediately uh, after World War II ended. So uh, I don't think actually Trotsky thought that, but uh, so I, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure there were a lot of wonderful people who had a wonderful time. Weird. They're all in the CIA.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, you know, it, he seems uh, embarrassed in his autobiography. He says something like, oh, everyone must be thinking I shouldn't have joined yes. the Socialist Workers Party. Well, you know, you'd be right because I shouldn't have. And he kind of goes on a whole thing about it. At this point, he also mentions um, something about Lenin that I have been here, like, repeated in kind of like confusionist circles, which is that Lenin was, you know, had figured out the ties between... Um, like the Russian aristocracy and the Russian ruling class and, you know, London, the banking families, the Rothschilds. And this is a connection, you know, that LaRouche will continue to make throughout his career. These kind of like um He's big, he's very, very against the, what he calls the finance world, the high finance families, yes. the Rothschilds, the bankings, whatever. And there is, this is a thing that we'll kind of like continue to repeat. Like there's truth there, but then there's also a lot of fiction as well.
0: I think something that gets lost in a, a lot of this, uh, try not to use the word discourse, but the discourse or whatever, like, you know, talking about families like the Rothschilds or something, is that obviously there's a lot of people who like, pin everything on the Rothschilds and take this really anti-semitic like bent where they are basically the center of power in the world which mm. is you know ridiculous uh, that isn't to say that the Rothschilds are good or aren't involved in conspiracies it's just like you can always kind of tell a bug you know if someone's like big uh one of their main goals is uh something to do with just specifically the Rothschilds uh that's generally not a great sign for uh for their for their mental state even. Um, But that's not to say, like, I want to be clear, that's not to say that the Rothschilds aren't bad and up to evil shit and have been up to evil shit for a long time. It's, and that's, that's sort of like, I mean, that's really kind of part of the LaRouche story is like taking these little kernels and then just supersizing them into something that's just, it's not real. He also, however, says in his biography, something which I haven't looked into, but will claim is 100% real, is that Bakunin was enthralled to the Rothschilds and the anarchist movement as a whole. Uh, it was it was excuse me the anarchist movement as a whole was used by the Rothschilds um, to basically spread dissent in uh, in countries that could not could ill afford it. Uh, I looked into this slightly, and I guess that Bakunin did have a, Ro- a Rothschild connection through uh, the populist novelist Alexander Herzen. Um, so that's that's something that. LaRouche does a lot is like he's like he's like Marat, for instance, was mm-hmm. a British agent, he says, because Marat lived in London for like six years as a doctor. Um, and so he draws these like very firm lines between things that are definitely not firm at all. So as you can imagine, um, he writes a lot in the socialist workers party. In fact, he writes a, a whole lot. Uh, and that's mostly what he's remembered for. It's just constantly writing things for like their internal debate, you know, newsletters and all that kind of stuff that most people didn't really understand. He moves to New York city at this point. Um, you know, he spends, a, I think, a few months as an industrial organizer in Lynn, and then moves to New York to, you know, shack up with a chick. He gets really into reading about cybernetics. He loves Marvin Minsky, a uh, mm. little friend of the pod. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, in the mid '60s, uh, which is the height of crankery, well, one of the main peaks of crankery in the many peaks yeah, and valleys. Yeah, vallies, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: he
0: he links up with a one of the top British cranks, a guy named Jerry Healy, Oof. A notorious sexual predator from these uh, from the Workers Revolutionary Party, uh, after briefly being in this Larouche was briefly in the Spartacists and uh, tries to create a new Trotskyist party in, in Canada, but is too annoying for the most annoying people in the world.
1: Can you explain the Spartacists to our listeners? This is a fun Sparti- little lesson, yes, <laughs> in left crankery.
0: The Spartacists are like, I think most they're probably more encountered than other crank groups because they actively will go to any kind of meeting or like public event, even if it's not like really related to politics that much. Like they're just, they're, they're everywhere, even though there's like 10 of them. Um, but they are a, I would say the funniest trot sect because a, they endorsed ISIS, which was
1: yeah insane. Bold move.
0: Bold move. And I got to say props for it. Uh,
1: Only the, the U.S. was bold enough to join them in their endorsement of yes. ISIS.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Trotskyists working with the State Department once again. Um, but uh, no, they are, uh, they are. I mean, American Trotskyists are, uh, maybe, I think it's different in other countries, but in America there is a long history of very micro sect crankery, mm-hmm. and the Spartacists are emblematic of much of that. I mean, you could say that there's micro sex crankery of uh, any political persuasion. There's just a lot of Trotskyist parties. Uh, and the Spartacists, for instance, when we did a union drive at anchor, we'd have these parties and they would come to the parties that we would have to get support from people. Like the general public would be handing out stickers and they would tell us that we were like, uh, basically like sellouts, but mm, they were in yeah, IBEW yeah, yeah. and I'm like, you're in a like right wing union. Like we're joining <laughs> the longshoremen. Like uh, it was bizarre. Um,
1: you know, I think we got enough Trotskyists.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. We don't try You're something like, else. Okay, hey, we
1: should uh we should form a new Trotskyist party. I think we're okay. They think do that all enough.
0: the time. Well, that's exactly what old Lynn was thinking in the late sixties, because he's party free, he's partied out, and he's teaching notes the late sixties now, the heady years of the SDS. Smoke a little dope, let your hair down long, uh, you know. Uh, get into heroin in three years, have a kid, but it's like all fucked up because there's like heroin, and then eventually uh, die in like 78. Uh, but in the heady of years of the late 60s, he is teaching at the Free University of New York mm-hmm. classes on economics and Marxism. Yeah. And he meets members of the SDS.
1: There's like a lot of people at this time who are like, that's the best class I've ever had. on Marxism and economics just like oh god but I guess he was like very popular and for a lot of these young kids uh in the SDS they were like oh this guy's like a bit older but he was like very like genteel not crazy crank but like kind of cozy older guy who was just like teaching at the free university seeing what the kids are up to blah 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 and he was able to really recruit a lot of a lot of kids out of that especially when the sgs splits
0: yeah so i actually read uh a couple of nights ago a pretty in-depth history i have no idea who compiled it it was on a site called yumbo uh a really in-depth history
1: of like excuse me are the- you or does someone you know know yumbo
0: yeah yeah i know reminding yeah. me a lot of you because i'm like that's a liz-ass word yumbo yumbo yeah
1: i, don't know. I it have seems w- like there's liz me. words yeah yumbo is a liz words? word yumbo, yumbo.
0: Yumbo. I think of more, but there's been Liz words for sure. On here. Peacock. Yeah. Peacock. Well, yeah. Peacock. Yeah. Washington, D.C., which I think you made us cut, Washington, but that's how, Liz, that's how Liz says Washington, D.C.
1: No, actually, my friend, Nick, said it once, and then it was always stuck in my head. And so then I repeated it on the podcast, and now it's going to be stuck in everyone's head in Washington, D.C.
0: Well, that this is before LaRouche moves to near Washington, D.C., but uh, he is – so he gathers around him during the SDS split. Um Members of the progressive labor party, uh, like younger members of it who, uh, you know, were disaffected with the organization, sick of the split, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of high school students. Um, and you know, just generally people who were sick of the internal fighting and all the factionalism within the SDS.
1: Everyone is and so, so that, sick of factionalism.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, they should have had a ban on it, but they did not. <laughs> <laughs> uh so after the SDS splits, he starts something called the, with the, one of the worst names I've ever heard in my life, the National Caucus of Labor Committees. What does that
1: mean? No. See, you think it's a bad name. Now, that's interesting because when I was reading all of this, this is what I thought. I said, huh, now that's a good name because everyone would see that and be like, that sounds official. That sounds very yeah. like placating that's not that's not abrasive that's not like you know cool whatever it sounds official it you're right. sounds actually, like you're right. yeah you know it could be anything and it kind of was actually
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that's true because after that like in the 80s people just started naming their organization like empower with all capital letters yes. that like, stood for something and shit it was like, like that. that
1: was like the big trend i mean we talked a lot about this kind of similarly when we talked about rothbard um yeah when we did those episodes on the Koch brothers and libertarianism and there was like this kind of like same thing where everyone was like, huh, let's see how I can like squeeze in under the radar, our kind of like cranky weird little organization with the like most bland, like, you know, white bread sounding name ever. No one will notice.
0: Well, that's the thing I think a lot of modern people on the left kind of get wrong is they don't understand the importance of being normal in front mm-hmm. groups, which yeah, are totally. something that people really uh, – being normal yeah. especially is a very controversial thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so he starts the NCLC, which, okay, there is like a list of like 60 LaRouche front groups. I mean, mm-hmm. everything from panic to like uh, I think the Committee to Investigate Child Abuse in Nebraska – like, yes. You know, there are a million front groups. The Labour Party became the vehicle, but mm-hmm. we'll basically probably just call the group the NCLC from
1: here. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's all the same thing.
1: Yeah. If you ever like uh for some of our older listeners out there, you might remember seeing a late the Labor Party on the like on your ballot when you went to go vote. <laughs> it would be like Lyndon LaRouche, the Labor Party. He just named his party the Labor Party, which also very smart.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's a tactic that other people have used in other countries too. I think the Bahamas has a right wing labor party, and mm-hmm. I believe Brazil definitely has a right wing labor party. Yeah. Here's the thing: if you want to start a new party, just called the Labor Party in the U.S. Just you added U, or oh,
1: yeah. um, or just or, two O's, the Labour Party. Yeah,
0: Labour Party. Then maybe you
1: know people will laugh and say, "Oh, that's funny."
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. Or uh, make the L, like make it all lowercase and make the L actually into an I, a capital Or I. the
1: L backwards and it'll look like, ooh, that's kind of maybe Levolution. cool, crazy. Well, that was labor, the whole- but backwards L. Like, the, the backwards
0: L was the centerpiece of the Ron Paul Revolution <laughs> campaign. Um, but- uh so he, so, okay, the the group immediately gets pretty cultish, although there aren't a great amount of details on exactly how, but he starts, uh you know, it is definitely based around LaRouche, but at this point, it is a Marxist group. Like, there is no bones about it. Like, this is a left-wing socialist group who is trying to do a revolution in the U.S. Not really sure where they mm-hmm. fall in, like, the denominator. Well, they're not actually trying to do that, but that's, you know. Yeah. Not they they seem to be kind of non-denominational, um,
1: <laughs> like a like, univ- like universalist church or whatever. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. Like they don't. It, or it's Mino, it,
1: Marxist in name only. Yes, yeah,
0: I, yeah. And so like, it's not like they're not like a Maoist group. They're Mino. not like a you know, which would make them a you know, the, the, you want to start a cult, start a Maoist one. Um, yeah, come on. But, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of just like the LaRouchean Marxism, you know, because they think of him as this great Marxist economist.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but he starts writing some pretty weird stuff about how, you know, left proto-fascists will take to the streets, um, how the capitalists are yeah. literally brainwashing people, which, you know, true, uh, and how his followers must become Prometheans, uh, mm. which is very much an inkling of what's to come. What is a Promethean?
1: So I actually don't know if I've ever like heard a proper definition of Promethean, although I've seen a lot of people use it, especially a lot of um like on the environmentalist tip. Um, but it is a sort of like, you know, anti-austerity, anti like reactionary, very like forward-thinking, forward-moving, progress, um, kind of like we, you know, we have the, the capabilities, the kind of like humanist um progressivism that isn't like utopian in a real way, but really like grounded in a kind of like the capabilities of society and, and kind of like going forward towards, you know, reaching our full capacity as a kind of, as a human race.
0: What a beautiful description of LaRouche and his organization, because that is precisely, <laughs> well, that's what he's trying to do. His whole thing, I mean, as he later admits, uh, is to try to attract uh, to the grad students, essentially. I mean, it's, <laughs> He makes no, literally he says that he makes no (laughs) bones. He makes no, no, you got to keep that (laughs) in. He makes no bones about it. Uh, He is, unlike every left-wing organization that pretends otherwise, LaRouche is straight up. He's like, I want the most uh, insane people in my organizations. I want people who love school to do a revolution. Uh, And so that's really what he's, I mean, his whole thing is, is he wants this sort of, intellectual vanguard by his mm. side but they they do a lot in the real world as well as as we'll see um but you know at this point he's kind of got some members that are like this is this is not working out this, is, this guy is very weird I'm leaving and so he needs to steal them to steal them for battle to steal them for the war to come for humanism has its final victory over the forces of a- anti-humanism which i feel like I could have said that in a cooler way but I didn't uh, so he had a two pronged approach for breaking down these little fucking grad students. Uh, one is he was going to introduce them to the, pol- the concept of identity politics. And t- <laughs> <laughs> sorry, wrong notes. Uh, one, he was going to uh, strip them of their egos. Mm, and, which, classic. Okay, uh,
1: That's a classic move.
0: And also, in this context, I'm like, okay, uh, maybe that's fine with yeah, me. Maybe you can still do that. Yeah, okay. Uh, and the second one was s- steal them for
1: war. Mm. Wait, so, which war? Uh,
0: unclear, so, okay, uh, when we probably talk more about this in episode two, but basically, if you know the plot of Assassin's Creed,
1: yeah, you that were saying is, this to me last night. I want to tell I you, was, I do not fuck. know the plot of Assassin's Creed.
0: I only know it because I had to, I, okay, listen, uh, long story. It's not a long story. I actually don't know most of the story. I just know that in the Assassin's Creed universe, uh, there's like two ancient forces, mm. one of which is the Templars. And I think the other one is the Assassins. Oh. Young Jopsis Oh, kind of like
1: a national treasure.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who've existed for millennia, Mm, and have been secretly at war behind the scenes. They've had high-profile members of society as secret Mm, members. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um. And they live uh, presumably by the Assassin's Creed, which what is do is there a printed Assassin? Do we know what the actual what is the the, Assassin's Creed? I think
1: it's uh, it's like nothing. Everything is permitted. Nothing is forbidden or something
0: like that no that's no no young chauncey is misquoting duray (laughs) meccasin or mckesson however you pronounce it because one time duray famous blm activist tweeted uh what what is it
1: i thought he tweeted about doritos the two boys i work with are googling one is googling assassin's creed and the other is googling (laughs) duray
0: Oh no, it is a it is a quote. It is a quote from 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 the Assassin's Creed. Uh, but De, uh, Deray uh DeRay tweeted out nothing is true, everything is permitted and then uh hyphen uh, the Assassin's Creed. So, Wait, I guess that's, that's the, the Assassin's, Assassin's creed. creed. That's a insane creed. What does that mean? Everything's that permitted? Mean? I don't want these guys win. Are they the
1: good guys? So they're saying that nothing is true, meaning like the world is a lie, therefore, everything is permitted. I'm an assassin. This is my creed.
0: These people are fucking devils.
1: Yeah, they're assassins.
0: Anyways, this is actually basically LaRouche. That's actually an incredible example of what LaRouche believes in. Like, LaRouche is probably the world's most foremost proponent of the Assassin's Creed because his whole thing <laughs> is that throughout history, there was like a split between. Plato and Aristotle and like followers of both and they've been waging a hidden, but like not like a secret, like it's a secret war, but like they know they're fighting it like conscious agents of this war Mm. between the two philosophies.
1: Now, I have to say that this strikes me as you dropped the word sued before and someone viewing the entire world as a war between like Platonists and Aristotelians Feels like the suitest thing I've ever <laughs> yeah, heard in my life. This is the suitest thing. I've that ever is ever like, no, but I, I really mean that. It's like, that is like, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what LaRouche believed. Oof. And he believed because of that, that nothing is true and everything is permitted. So he starts berating his followers publicly and like calling them, I think LaRouche, I got to say, if you want a guy to call you gay in the early seventies, join the LaRouche organization because this guy will call you that constantly. Uh, He is driven a little insane because his girlfriend runs off with a young member of the LaRouche organization to England. And oh, he
1: rec- his number one enemy, exactly. You can't right? lose the girl to England if the you're at Lyndon LaRouche.
0: And it, this is, I mean, I hate to attribute anything to this mm. because I can't psychoanalyze sure. the guy, but I'm attributing a lot to this. Sure,
1: attribute away.
0: So they go to England, LaRouche's. This is in the early '70s. LaRouche's old lady and uh, and a young man, a guy ten years her junior, uh, a milf hunter, you might say. And so they go, to, they go to England to start an NCLC chapter out there. Mm. Uh, he calls them back for a conference. Prior to the conference, or prior to flying back, the guy had viewed a movie called, fuck, I wrote down the name, but I can't, uh, what is the fucking movie? Trinity. And I tried to look it up, and I just found Westerns that didn't seem to match. But it was a movie about a, a woman luring a guy, a young man, to his death at the hands of a paternal figure. <laughs> By the time this guy Chris White gets to America on the plane, he's he's dragged off screaming that the CIA had programmed him to kill Lyndon LaRouche.
1: Hmm.
0: L- well, Lyndon locks him up in a room for two weeks and deprograms him. Oh, no, uh, there are recordings that were got by the I believe actually LaRouche gave to the New York Times to pr- prove his innocence, which basically sounds like they're just torturing the guy. Oh, my um, God. Yes, and so. After that, the tactics become a lot crazier internally uh, on NCLC members, and he starts using essentially brainwashing cult tact. I mean, not essentially, like abso- yeah, like 100%, quite literally, literally, like to the letter. You know, public berating, constant like love bombs, constant like um, you know, you know, this, this sort of like putting people as outcasts and then bringing them back in when they agree with him more. I mean, mm-hmm. it is truly like All the start the
1: language tricks,
0: hundred percent, yeah. And then he also is like, listen, guys, we need to beat the shit out of the communists.
1: Yeah, this is a weird turn. So, <laughs> Remember when we said that he, you know, was ostensibly a Marxist? Yes. That's out the window.
0: It's, well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's basically, it's, it's confusing because he doesn't really like, he, he says, he talks about this in political terms internally, but not on Marxist terms. really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, He's like, we need to get hegemony, but like, he doesn't talk about really like an ideological struggle. He's just like, we need to beat the shit out of these guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, he really like fully. I mean, the 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 program is to attack and break down the Communist Party. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's called Operation Mop Up, which is a fantastic name, and it's the Lurishide's first and uh, to this date only organized foray into nunchuck based violence, and I'm not joking there. They. Primarily use nunchucks. Those are the ninja weapon of two chucks uh, connected by what you call a nun, which is a uh, piece of chain or rope. So the Larouchites basically their their goal is very simple: it is to beat the shit out of communists all up and down the East Coast and Midwest, and specifically the Communist Party. Although it's later, uh, you know, extended to the Trotskyist parties that, including his former party, the Socialist Workers Party. And they just disrupt all their meetings, go to their bookstores and beat the fuck out of everybody with nunchucks, which is, I got to say, incredible. I mean, like, could you imagine being at some meeting and some guys like, well, at the party congress they were saying, and then just like 30 insane, rabid 25 year olds who think of themselves as golden souls come in and just wallop you and everybody you know with nunchucks. I mean, it would be like a fever dream.
1: Yeah, it was like pretty intense. It was <laughs> I mean, really like, like they put
0: people in the hospital.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was a thing. This was like a big thing.
0: <laughs> this is one of the things that the LaRoucheites are actually most known for. And uh, he, uh, yeah, it's it was a, I mean, it's a long story, but you can imagine like they did this all over. In fact, it led to a temporary alliance between the Trotskyists and the Communist Party in New York City to protect the CP member for, uh, the or member that was running for 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 mayor, which is a pretty rare occurrence. Um and uh, eventually a LaRoucheite gets put up on felony charges in Boston, and then LaRouche declares victory and says he's won. He's beaten the entire left and has achieved hegemony. Uh, he also keeps telling members that they must destroy the Communist Party within themselves. Mm. Like that's like where all their doubt and fear and ego is is the Communist Party.
1: Yeah, classic move.
0: Uh, and he really after this I mean a bunch of people leave and the people that are left are in like basically like kind of broken souls from this and uh, Dennis King's really excellent book on, on mm-hmm. LaRouche um, there's a passage here and Liz would you mind reading this stuff about ego stripping?
1: Yeah so he says I'm going to make you organizers by taking your bedrooms away from you he announced hey you meaning LaRouche What I shall do is to expose to you the cruel fact of your sexual impotence. I will take away from you all hope that you can flee the terrors of politics to the safety of, quote, personal life. I shall do this by showing to you that your frightened personal sexual life contains for you such horrors as the outside world could never offer you. I will thus destroy your rabbit holes, mental as well as physical. I shall destroy your sense of safety in the place to which you ordinarily imagine you can flee. I shall not pull you back from fleeing, but rather destroy the place to which you would attempt to flee.
0: Liz, can you imagine being like 25 (laughs) in like 1973 and some guys telling you this? No, it's so fucked up. Dude, I don't even know what I would do. I would just be like, what? Are you but saying like, to me?
1: Yeah, there was a lot of groups like this, though. But this, yeah, yeah this took a different bend. Well, yeah. like like a lot of groups, it took the fascist bend. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, and you know, at, so at this point, Larouche is. And by the way, if you can hear screaming in the background, that's just my neighbor. Don't worry about it. Uh, they're just doing it a lot. Uh, so, at this point, Larouche starts announcing that people are trying to kill him. I think the first recorded instance of this was. He said there was a CIA KGB joint operation that was going to take him out in
1: 1973,
0: Mm, which is pretty, pretty cool. And then he announced he was the number three person on the red army faction hit list, which not sure how we got onto that. Um, and, uh, you know, is is, the CIA starts playing a heavy factor in this and he accuses anybody criticizing him of being in the CIA.
1: Yeah. Classic. Another classic move.
0: Yeah, exactly. And his whole thing too is that the CIA brainwashes you, which of course, you know, the CIA do- can brainwash you. Uh but it's also a really convenient uh foil for if you don't want anybody to say anything bad about you, you can be like, "Uh actually the CIA told him to say that that it was weird I told him his dick doesn't work."
1: Yeah, seen that used many a time on twitter.com. Mhm. About you. Uh
0: so after this, you know, it's 19 it's mid 70s, right? Uh, you know, punk is coming on. We got disco in a few years. Heroin's really big. Mm. Girls are pretty hot at this point. I feel like mid seventies girls are looking. Oh really, yeah,
1: like this is a good time day. for girls.
0: Chicks are looking. Chicks fantastic. pretty universal
1: throughout time, but like like everything else, peaks and valleys.
0: Peaks and valleys, and mid seventies huge peak. Mid seventies and early eighties, oh. I mean, I love Christ. a
1: late 70s to early 80s. That is like my vibe. That is peak girl for, for this girl. That mm-hmm. is like peak vibe.
0: Yeah, yeah, girl yeah, vibe. yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, let me just say, David Lee Roth, I'm sure you had a fantastic time, and I admire you, sir. I,
1: get up. I think we're thinking of different times, but.
0: No, David Lee Roth was early 80s.
1: Yeah, but I'm just thinking of different aesthetic. I think.
0: Oh yeah, well, I, I, I mean, David. But you know what, universal, universal. So you might be like, damn, chicks are about to get really hot soon, and you know, I should probably get out over this whole like weird thing I've been doing, like get out of this cult. But if you're Lyndon LaRouche, you're like, damn, I should become a Nazi, (laughs) like. (laughs) fuck around with it a little bit. And this is where Liz is. So Liz is the inventor of a term called red brown alliance. Oh my God. No, this is, this is where things get tricky with talking about LaRouche because I think it's really tempting for some people to be like, he's red brown. He's a little Mm. bit communist and a little bit fascist, but looking at that in through that lens is that's no, that's the wrong way to look at it for LaRouche. There is, you are part of the assassins or the Templars. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what you're like, if you're racist or anything like, he will use whatever he can to make sure that the, uh, the, the Platon, Neoplatonics win this, which is his version of the assassins.
1: Yeah. He's beyond left and right, beyond good and evil for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, he saw the dialectic. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know the dialectic was resolved, and that resolution is Lyndon LaRouche. So he
0: his fascism isn't necessarily like what you might term like solely pro white or anything like that. Like it doesn't really look like. I mean, because he does have a little bit of fascism on deck. It uh, it's more just it's a very LaRouchean type of fascism. And so, you know, he talks about like like many people, I think, in the early '70s, talking about organizing the ghetto youth. But like when he talks about it, he's just racist about them. Like Mm. he's like, we're going to, like, he's basically like all of everything he says, he's like, we're going to organize these people to, you know, whatever, overthrow the government. But he's like describing them in like insanely racist terms, like openly racist ones. Uh, His newspaper, New Solidarity, uses the N-word judiciously, uh, which in the N-word there is not new in New Solidarity. is the one you're thinking of. And also they, they declared war on Amiri Baraka,
1: yeah, and yeah, yeah. He was I've basically s- like convinced that like drugs turned black people into psycho killers.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. And that
1: and, that was like you know the point.
0: <laughs> uh, could you actually read this from this pamphlet? Oh my God. I, so do not clip this.
1: You could be white. "'You could be black,' said an NCLC leaflet circulated in Manhattan. "'This summer you'll be walking down the street with your family "'and a cruising car will pull up beside you. "'A group of young black men will jump out of the car and surround you. "'As they close in on you, you may notice that your eyes show no emotion. "'Their pupils are pinpoints. "'Your throat will be slashed. "'Your wife will be stabbed. "'Your children's heads will be smashed against the pavement. "'The attackers will be grinning or laughing.'"
0: So, <laughs> just, I mean, Jesus Christ, you know. It, it, Another
1: classic move from LaRouche.
0: Cl- classic 12-dimensional chess from LaRouche here. but But actually, it is – well, actually, it's kind of just regular two-dimensional chess. He is making both overtures to – by the way, NCLC at this point had like a lot of black members, like – like a good, like a, like a, a, probably more percentage wise than like a lot of modern left wing groups while they were passing out these forms. Yeah. And the way that a lot of people, like, I, I mean, I read interviews with ex members sort of um, justified this themselves like, well, he's talking about the other ones. Like, he's talking mm. about the brainwashed people. He's not talking about us. Like, we're part of the golden ones.
1: Right, right, right. In group, out group.
0: Exactly. And this is the same way a lot of the Jews in his organization felt uh, after he. Sort of switch targets in a couple of years, so they 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 also began a long association around uh, mid seventies with a guy named Roy Frankhauser, who is the Grand Dragon of the Pennsylvania KKK, and honestly, looking at his record, almost assuredly an FBI asset.
1: Oh, I one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, like. The thing is, like a lot of people think Cointelpro, all that FBI, like, you know, when they went after left-wing groups, it was only about left-wing groups, but the but the but the feds were infiltrating basically any kind of group like this and turning yeah. in members. Like, you know, they had it, they had a formula and it worked really well. So <laughs> LaRouche also, I mean, we'll get to this in the second episode, but LaRouche, which is this is like the there's a lot to get into on that. But, uh, LaRouche hires Frank, Roy Frankhauser as a security consultant, which he does quite often. And Frankhauser starts dangling a, uh, a CIA connection he has named Mr. Ed, like the talking horse to, uh, to, you know,
1: that used, that was the song that my dad would sing to me when I was a baby. I would go, daddy, sing horsey, sing horsey. And then he would sing the. Theme song from Mister Ed, and that would huh. be the lullaby for me to go to sleep. That's very oh, sweet. My name was Mister Ed. Remember? Hello, I'm Mister Ed. Uh,
0: I don't. I don't think I've ever seen Mister. I just
1: with the peanut butter. They 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 gave the horse peanut butter so that he to make oh, him chew. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, I <laughs> great I great trick. I
0: had a burn DVD of every episode of Lancelot Link's Secret Chimp.
1: Lancelot Link. Lance, Lance. Secret gym.
0: Um What? Is,
1: what is that?
0: It's an insane monkey show. Monkey show? It's a monkey show, um, although it's probably the abusive the to monkeys. The monkeys. But no, it is. I, I, this was when I was in my early 20s. I've rewatched every episode in the past oh year. God. It's incredible. Uh, anyways, so f- Frank Hauser basically makes up or says he makes up. And this is where I differ from a lot of people who study LaRouche or where we, I think Liz and I are both in agreement on this. Mm. Frank Hauser says he has a CIA contact that he later says is just his friend that he says pretended to be. I actually think it was real. Um, like, you know, it, in a court case, he later admits that he made it all up and that like, it was just his friend that would meet with LaRouche and all this stuff. But I, I think it was real. And I think that that like, cause he would pass messages from LaRouche to look into certain things or to start talking about certain things. And I think this actually happened throughout all of LaRouche's career.
1: Yeah. So to be clear, like, as you said about with Comentel Pro that, uh, you know, people maybe are only familiar with the infiltration of, like, left-wing orgs, but it was obviously happening with KKK, I mean, extensively. Um, they were also trying to infiltrate guys like like LaRouche's organization. And as we kind of will, like, detail in the next episode, is this kind of um, passing of information back, it, like, goes both ways. <laughs> in fact, yes. goes goes uh, both is. It's quite porous. This relationship with the U.S. government and Larouche, like he basically like it becomes like a whole different entity at this point, or or starts to starts to kind of like lay the groundwork and really like um, he starts to build what I think can only be called like one of the largest private intelligence agencies in American history.
0: Yeah, and this is where that uh, that membrane that I was talking about earlier mm. um, is uh, is starts to beca- to shimmer in the light and starts to become very easy to uh, put your hand through and reach reach onto the other side. Maybe a little oily. Yeah, a little oily. Exactly. It Looks like an octopus's skin, mm-hmm. uh, or or like mine after I'm done dancing at the club in Ibiza. Uh, So yeah, we will, we will, there's a lot more to talk about. I mean, we got, we got everything from the Franklin, Franklin scandal to uh, Jimmy Hoffa. Um, But yeah, there is, there is a lot more in the second episode and uh, well, fuck you. I guess we'll see you then.
1: Well, Brace already said the outro, but they're making me say it, so now I gotta say it again.
0: I'm sorry for saying fuck you. I feel, I feel bad about that now. now are you I'm saying it to me or dad? to them? Because if you're, you're saying
1: them. it to me. Oh, okay. I Actually, I don't, don't
0: could-
1: know. Let's you see how nice him? you are to me.
0: Yeah. Well, it's I, I, you under- know who
1: does know, Young Chomsky, he's gonna decide.
0: Well, right now it's an unattributed "fuck you," like it doesn't have a direction yet, and it really depends on the behavior of the next like minute and thirty seconds uh, uh, on who that gets targeted to. So, like the missile's up, but the thrusters haven't fired yet, and it could either go to China or Russia. So, do you want to be China or do you want to be Russia?
1: Wait, which which are you a hawk against?
0: Be nice to me, and maybe you'll find out.
1: <laughs> I'm Liz.
0: My name is the Hawk. We're joined by producer Young Chomsky, and the podcast is called True Enough.
1: We'll see you next time. Bye Bye-bye. bye. Bye-bye.